We're uh, back in our Colossians series above all, and I heard uh, through the grapevine that somebody had said, man, I'm glad that, you know, Colossians series is over. It's, it was, it was kind of taking a while, and uh, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm looking for you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find you out. Um, but actually, we didn't finish Colossians. We, we, we uh, just finished the first chapter, and there are four of them. And uh, actually, we didn't even finish the first chapter, but we, we're going to skip one because of the snow. And so, um, anyway, it, it, it did, we, we did do about 10 messages, and we're going to continue on in Colossians. And just to say, it's going to, it's going to speed up a little bit, but it, it brings up a really important point about your maturity and how we learn and grow together. We do a couple different kinds of series. We, we, do, uh, we go through books of the Bible like Colossians. And uh, we also do topical series, which was like uh, secrets. Uh, but when, when you go through a, a book of the Bible, especially Paul, Paul tends to, you know, in the beginning, take his time and really make sure we grab a hold of what are these rich truths and uh, rich uh, theology, rich doctrine. And then he gets into application, and, and that's when it goes a little bit faster. And it's really important because, you know, if you, it's just like kind of like building a house. You know, contracts will tell you the most laborious, painstaking part is building the foundation. But if you don't build the foundation right, you know, the, the house could be crooked or even worse. It could fall apart completely. So you want to make sure you get, the, you get the, the foundation right. And Paul is so brilliant at making sure that we get the foundation, that we, that we get those truths, and then we can build a house on top of that, a spiritual house on top of that. So don't don't miss out on these truths. It's really, really important. In fact, Paul uses the language like, I toil for this. In, uh, in uh, chapter 1, verse 29, which we haven't read yet, we won't read, but he says, you know, I'm, I'm toiling, I'm struggling for your maturity. I, I'm going after that. It's just a real example of how we really need to kind of dig deep into uh, the things of God and not just have an interest in our own maturity, but Paul here has an interest in others' maturity. He has an interest in your maturity. And this is another reason why uh, community groups are huge for us because, and discipleship, because we just don't want to like, be okay with us growing in God, but we want to make sure that, that others grow in God, and that's the example that Paul uh, gives us here. And, and just here in the beginning, before I get really into the core of what I want to talk today, there's a couple things about what Paul says here in the beginning that I think is so important for us. Um, one here is that he, he's not in uh, uh, Colossae. In fact, he never, he never even visits the church. Uh, how the church got started is uh, Paul was preaching in in Ephesus, modern day uh, Turkey, and and this guy Epaphras he gets you know he gets converted, he gets excited about the gospel, he takes it back to his hometown, uh, ninety miles east in Colossae, as well in Laodicea, which is about nine miles from uh, Colossae, and uh, <clears throat> he begins to, he starts his church, and so Paul never he never visits here, but he he has this warm connection to this church. I think this is important for us to see. Uh, it has this warm connection. Never, he says in uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, because we know even though we're not face-to-face here, um, you know, I'm with you in spirit. I'm really connected to you. And this is great news for us, the kind of church that we want to be, because we, we've, we're multiple locations. We're three locations. We're four different services. And we want more locations and the church to go, uh, to go bigger. And, and, and what we want to, the kind of church we want to build here is we do want warm relationships. We want authentic unity, authentic connectedness. But the reality is there are people that you're never going to see that we're saying, hey, let's be one with. There are people in other locations that you don't even know. But we're to be one heart with them. Well, how is that true? How is that even possible? I mean, even in this location that has 
Uh, you know, sociologists say that, you know, you can't really know more than 60 people. You know, 58, know them well. 59, 60, great. 61, don't know them so well. Um, so even in it, you can, you can not know people, but we, we can still be one of heart. Paul demonstrates here that, hey, we can be really connected to someone that you don't even, uh, have never even met face to face. But you share the same passion, you share the same mind, you, say, you share the same goal. This shows you that the blood of Jesus doesn't just have the power to save, but it has the power to unite. The blood of Jesus is a uniting thing. And if we make Jesus, we make Christ on the cross the, the central thing, we're going to be connected with people we don't even know. And that was the testimony of the Apostle Paul. So we need to press into Jesus. We also need to really value these community groups. We need to value these. We, we do need to be known. We do need to be known by someone, and we do need to know others. We may not know everyone, and we don't have to know everyone to feel a part of the whole, but we have to know someone, and it's just such great news. I just reading this, was just like, ah, this is awesome. Yeah, Paul shows us that we can be connected. We can be one heart and one mind, even though that we don't know everyone, which is an encouraging thing. The second thing Paul really shows us here, or really, I guess the first thing is you, if you get into, um, if you have the, your Bibles open to, to verse 1, Paul says here that he is contending. So Paul writes, I says, I'm contending, I'm struggling, um, I'm wrestling. And he's talking about prayer here. He's talking about wrestling and struggling in prayer for these uh, people. Uh, he's really praying for us as well. And last fall when we were in chapter 1, we, t- uh, we talked about prayer a little bit. We talked about these bullet prayers. Like, like our day should be full of just these one word, one sentence prayers, you know, like you see a car accident, you're like, man, God, help those people, heal those people, protect those people. You know, you, you, you walk away from a conversation with a neighbor, you're like, God, save that, open a door for the gospel for that person. Or, you know, you, know, you find someone out, you find someone that's someone in your community group or that you know is, is sick and, you know, you don't just have to sit on that information, but you can go to prayer. Just, you know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be long, but one sentence prayer, bullet prayer. You know, I do that before every meeting, whether, whether that's with a big group or just one person. I'm just like, God, you know, bless this person, bless this group, help me, give me words to say, or I'm leaving the conversation. God, you know, help them with that, that struggle, or, you know, I thank you that this is going well, or whatever it is. This bullet prayers can be very, very, very effective. You may do bullet prayers. You may do a bullet prayer before a meal or whatever, uh, and they can be super. Think about it. The thief on the cross, he does a one-sentence prayer, and it saves him from all of his sin, and he's, he's in paradise for all of eternity. It can be a powerful thing. Jesus, the gospels are full of one sentence, even one word or two-word prayer, you know, be gone, be healed. He blesses, you know, fed the 5,000 with a bullet prayer, with just you know, a couple fish and a few loaves. Bullet prayers can be very powerful. And, and, and to be honest with you, a lot of our prayer is going to be just that. And I want to continue to encourage you in, those kind, in that kind of praying. But what Paul's talking about here isn't bullet prayers. He's talking about contending, wrestling. It's almost like a, a multiple round bout. This is like he goes at it once and then he goes at it again and again and again and again. My wife and I, we, we have a neighbor, Paul, that we contend for in prayer. He's not yet a believer, and we're contending for him in prayer that he would know Jesus. I contend for myself that I have breakthrough in areas of weakness. I can be introverted, which isn't a sin, uh, but my introversion could, um, could lead to a lack of awareness of other people, or it, you know, it could lead to, one, to o- an over-desire for personal space or an over-desire to withdraw, and I can make too much of just kind of having my own time and being 
uh, alone and I can uh, see you know, personal time as a refuge instead of seeing Jesus as a, as a refuge. And so I'm praying for myself, God, make me more, more aware of people. Um, you know, teach me to make you my refuge and not my own personal space. And I'll say, you know, God, I don't want Rachel to have a grumpy husband. You know, I want my kids to have an enthusiastic, passionate example for, for Jesus. And I want the church to be led well. I don't want it to, like, settle into maintenance mode, but I want it to be energetic and moving forward. I just begin to pray for myself. And, and, you know, you could see I'm taking this from all different angles, and this is something I'm contending for. It's something I'm contending for uh, day after day after day. I've got a question for you. What in your life are you contending for in prayer? I believe if you're a Christ follower, there's things that God puts on your heart, things that he's pointing out. Uh, It could be something personal or it could be for somebody else or it could be multiple different things. But what are you contending for? The elders here and myself and um, really quite a few others. We, we contend for things as a church. We're, we're contending for salvation. We're contending for, for God to, uh, to expand his kingdom in and through us. We're, we're praying for deeper community and unity. We're praying for diversity. We're pray- there are things that we come to prayer with over and over. We're contending for it. We're, we're toiling with it. We're, we're struggling with it. And we take these things to prayer until there's completion. Psalm 18 has been so helpful for me in this. Psalm 18:37. David writes, I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. And that's it in prayer. So it's like you get these things that you come up in life that you just, you just, and what you do is you go after them in prayer and you run after them and you keep going after them until you catch up with them and they're completely consumed. And then you like run them through with a sword. I mean, you go after it. It's an aggressive thing. And it's something that Paul's demonstrating for us. That's really how we should all be. We should all be contending. We're not just on in our own, but even as a community, I mean, we are in a battle. There is a spiritual battle, and we have a weapon that is very powerful in prayer. You know, some pe- there's two mistakes you can make with the supernatural. One is that you, you make everything spiritual or everything demonic. So it's like, you know, I didn't, well, you, you fail a test at school. You're like, why? well, the devil made me fail. No, you didn't study. I mean, that's why you, I mean, there may, it's not demonic. It's, you, it's, it, you didn't study. So one, one mistake you can make is you can make everything that way. The other mistake is you can just deny that it's there altogether. And, and we are, we are uh, uh, Jesus has won the ultimate victory on the cross, and he sent us to, with the work to do to kind of like a ground effort to go and, and see that people know that, you see, when we, the good news of the gospel, it's just that it's good news. And, and that word, it really means to herald an event, that we walk around and we herald an event, and there is an enemy that wants to mute that voice, and so we got to contend for things. And prayer is a mighty weapon. I, I hear we say silly things like, "Well, I guess the only thing we can do is pray." It's kind of like, "Well, the only you know the only weapon I have is a nuclear missile." It's just like I can't. And then what I love about corporate prayer is that we're coming together, hundreds of people firing off nuclear missiles at the enemy, and, I, and we and we do that. We gather for prayer every week, every Wednesday here in the city location. I know Seth and Steve; they got their prayer meetings as well. And then all of the locations we gather three times a year for a week of prayer. We got one coming up in a month. And I just want you to say, I want to encourage you to prize these times, to, to learn to contend. And I know sometimes even praying for, 
you know, because we pray for an hour, hour and a half, and it's, oh, that's a long time, and, you know, the disciples couldn't do it either. Jesus told us, said to the disciples, I mean, could you not even pray with me for an hour? An hour can seem daunting, especially if your relationship with Jesus is newly formed. You know, any time that you have a relationship that's newly formed, you know, the, the conversation doesn't last long. So if you meet someone today for the first time and you ask them, like, hey, you know, uh, you know what's your name and, and, you know, what do you do for a living and where do you live and how did you find out about Jubilee and that's, that's all I got. We, you tap out and the conversation's over. There's not really much else to say because you don't, the relationship is newly formed. The conversation doesn't last long. You're in the doctor's office. Oh, it's interesting on the magazine. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, it's a nice day. Yeah, it's a nice day. Okay, the conversation's over. And some people go, think about their conversation, you know, a prayer like that with God. It's just kind of like, well, I don't know what to say. And so if it's, the relationship's newly formed, there may not be a whole lot to say other than just to you know, thank him for salvation, which is a great prayer. But here's the thing. As your relationship with him develops, so does a conversation. And you need to, you need to pursue that conversation. My hope for your, your relationships in the physical, my relation, your relationships here at Jubilee, I hope the relationship increases and I hope the conversations increase. I hope you get beyond you know, your favorite board game. I hope you get into deeper matters. I hope the conversation extends. And I hope the conversation extends with Jesus and what it takes is a deeper relationship. So what happens is you read his word and you read about, man, God heals. Oh, wait a minute, I know someone who needs to be healed and you begin to pray for that person to be healed. And then you read, oh my gosh, it says that his arm is not too short to save. And so then you have this person that you've never prayed for because you thought there's no way that person will ever come to Jesus. But then you read in his word that this is what he's like. So you begin to pray that way. Or then you read that says that that his glory will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. I don't know if you've ever seen the sea before, but there's a lot of water in there. His glory will be everywhere. So then you can begin to pray that way. And you begin to learn things about who God is and what he's like and the relationship. And prayer begins to develop. So we don't always feel that way. And then you add in spiritual gifts and man, then you're really rocking in prayer. So I want to encourage you, don't back away just because you're like, well, the relationship's newly formed, or maybe you've been a Christian a while, but you've never really developed a relationship. You need to, you need to press into this. You need to get to know him. You need to understand who he is and, and just be around people who are fired up about prayer. Let me, do, let me do something before you go. Get out your communication card. We're not done. We're not near done. Um, but in the back of that card, it says, contend for prayer blank. I, my question, I want to, what are you contending in prayer for? I want you to think of something right now. Just take the moment, take a moment and say, what, what, in, what comes to mind when you think, ah, oh, I really want to contend in prayer for that? Just write that in the card real quick. What's Paul contending in prayer for? Well, the first thing we see here is encouraged hearts. It's like, it's like, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's like the apostle Paul is praying. What could he possibly be praying for. Well, he's praying that you'd be encouraged. But I've been a pastor for nine or so years, and I've just learned that discouragement is a mighty weapon in the hand of the enemy. Discouragement will make you so ineffective. It, it will make even blessings seem like a curse. I mean, the Israelites, they were in bondage for 400 years, and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed to be delivered. And they had promises of a great nation. And they found themselves in slavery. And finally, they get out of slavery in a miraculous way. I mean, ten plagues. And then they go through a Red Sea. And then, then food falls from the sky and water out of a rock. And within a month, 
They're like, we want to go back to Egypt. God hates us. You know, know, just chewing on the food that's falling out of the sky. God hates us. We're so discouraged. We want cucumbers. We want to go back to Egypt. And they just got discouraged in slavery for 400 years, out for 30 days, and they were just totally defeated. Discouragement. I hate my house. You know, no one really likes me. I wonder if my life is amounting to anything. Just discouragement. The great antidote for discouragement is encouragement. Encouragement, that word to encourage means to put courage in. Paul is praying that God would put courage in them. And and encouraging is a a, a fantastic thing that we need to make the practice and habit of doing is putting courage in other people. I think this is probably one of the things that God has really worked in my life and really shown me over the last few years that I, uh, that's really created a desire in me to be more encouraging because I, I, for many years, I would withhold encouragement. And I did that for a couple twisted reasons. One would be, um, uh, the first one would be like, I didn't want to seem fake. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to be that kind of smoother, like, you know, aren't you a, a million bucks or whatever. And just like, you know, just, I just didn't want to, I just felt kind of odd to me to just kind of, because people are going to see, think that I'm not being real and I want to be real. And so I would kind of not be encouraging for that reason. And then the other thing too was like, I, I didn't want to make people arrogant, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm leading people and I'm just like, you know, I, I don't want to say like, you know, say something amazing and then they'll, they'll get pride and I don't want them to stumble. And, and then a friend sh- talked to me one day about this. He says, you know, Brian, the Bible says a lot about humbling yourself, but it never says to humble others. And it was just like this freeing state, like, yeah, you can put the gas, I don't have to worry about, I I mean, I have to, I want other people to be humble, but I can just put the gas pedal on encouragement. We can just like go at it. We don't have to worry, but I can, I, I need to humble myself, but I don't have to worry about humbling other people. You know, if they get out of line, you know, God and the Holy Spirit, they'll take care of that. But I can, just be, I can just be encouraging. And I want to encourage you to encourage others and make a habit of that. In fact, today, I mean, you can, I mean, you can text people today, just a couple people, just encourage them. You can text them right now. I don't care. Um, and do it and just make a practice of that. Write notes. Do, do something, just encourage people to put, to build uh, faith in them. So he, he does that. So I, I want you to do that. In fact, on the back of your card, you can write that. Make encouraging others a habit. The other thing he prays for is he prays that their heart to be knit together in love. And this is just another one of the umpteen verses about how crucial community is in our life together. And I got to be honest with you, as a communicator that comes up here most weeks, I feel repetitive, and I'm sure you're thinking, yeah, I, I, you feel repetitive too. And so, but one of the things I feel really repetitive on is this, this idea. That, hey guys, you know, community groups are important, community is important, da, 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 da. Just like kind of keep going, keep going, keep going. And I'm so tempted, like, okay, I'm going to go a different angle. I'm going to put a different spin on it. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to ignore it. But the, it just keeps coming up in the Bible, that community is a big deal. And, and I would say this. I would say that individualism, I, I, don't, I think it's always been an issue, but I think it's, it's, it's at an all-time high. 
And it's so rampant, it's, so, it's always been rampant, the desire uh, to, to, to build to myself, to isolate myself, to think I don't need other people, to be self-made, is the air we breathe, and it's absolutely destructive. If there's one thing that I could uh, say I think is killing people is, is individualism, isolation. And I'm, I, you, can, you can actually read sociologists that have nothing to do with Jesus, and they'll say that. They'll say the destruction of community in America is one of the big things that's hurting it. And it's quadruply true if you're a Christ follower. Community is essential. And, he, and that's, it makes total sense that Paul would be toiling and, and struggling um, for this. That he'd be, he'd be praying for this. In fact, that word that he used, struggle, is the Greek word agon, which where we get the word agonize. He's agonizing over these things. God, knit them together in love. It should be your prayer. Knit, knit my heart together in love with other people. It should be your pursuit. You, should, you need to know that you need to fight against individualism. It is running your life probably more than you think it's running your life. And you're probably thinking, well, who are you to say that? Well, there you go. And so... Um, <laughs> We'll move on. And, but here's a, that's one, I mean, Celebration Midwest, I mean, there's amazing, I mean, it's an event coming up in a few months. And uh, yeah, I mean, get the vision, time away, all that. But here's the thing that just in terms of a corporate thing that I just, I like and I want for us is that there, there are a few things without a lot of grumbling and complaining where we just, we make a corporate decision. And what I mean by that is like, okay, there's 600 people that go to Jubilee across their locations. That it's not just, okay, we need to have 600 individual, you know, decision-making time where it's like, okay, is this the best thing for me? Is this the best thing for me? Is this the best thing for me? I'm hearing you, but is this the best thing for me? Man, the Bible wants to conform you and renew your mind to stop asking what's best for me, but to, stop, to start asking what's best for we. Like, w- w- let's make a corporate decision. Let's make a together decision. And so when we come to, when we, the thing I love, the opportunity that we have in celebration is that we can, we can make a statement to our own hearts and to, um, I think, the enemy of our soul say, man, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just be, it's not just going to be about me and me and I. It's going to be about we. It's, going to, it's all for one, one for all. I need you. You need me. We need we. We need, we need to be together in this. The, the Bible is praying. Paul is praying. May their, may their hearts be knit together. That's huge. What a powerful thing to pray. Now, this, this knitting together and this encouragement and all this prayer and all this toiling is leading to something which is the point of this section, and I think really the point of the entire letter, and it can be summed up in one word, and that is assurance. In the first service, I kept saying insurance, so if I do that again, I'm sorry. But you need insurance too, fire, home health, all that. But assurance is what I'm really wanting to say, so if I mess up, just don't, don't snicker or laugh or whatever. Just send me an encouraging text. And so... Um, but this is huge. As a Christ follower, it's massive because it's such a, it's so, I mean, to always be like, you know, am I, am I okay? Am I doing enough? Am I good enough? To have that daily kind of waffling is just, it's, it's, it's no fun. 
uh, to always be checking your spiritual pulse is no place to live. It's just, it, it may be okay for a brief visit, but don't live there. Don't live always checking your spirit, always feeling guilty, always wondering if God is for you. God wants you to be absolutely sure that you're his and that you're, in. I mean, the Bible is just full of, uh, Jesus in John 6 says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you're ever wondering, man, if I, what I did last night or what I'm doing, if, you know, I haven't been, to, whatever it is, will Jesus, when I come to him, will he cast me out? He will not. Unless you think Jesus is a liar. He says, I will not cast you out. Okay, will anyone get, okay, Jesus won't do it, but what about, will something else snatch me away? And Jesus says multiple times, no one can take, snatch anyone out from my hand. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near with full assurance. Here's the thing, if you're not, if you don't have assurance, you're not drawing near. This is why it's so huge. You, you need to have encouraged hearts. You need to be knit together with a body of believers so that you have confidence, so that you will draw near. Those of you who are not drawing near, you doubt your salvation. You doubt your place with God. You doubt if he's really for you. You doubt if he really loves you. So you're not drawing near. God wants relationship with you. God wants you to be near him. He wants you to know these things. So let's draw near with full assurance and confidence. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, in Romans 8, 38, he says, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, in all of creation, that sums up pretty much everything, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Man, it's a mouthful. It's an amazing thing. And it's true. It's all true. Nothing can separate you. You, God wants you to have full assurance. You need to have full assurance. Well, how do you get assurance? Well, you don't get it from within. I mean, that's just not what the, the gospel is and that you do some good things and you find religion and you have some faith and you attend this and do this. And then if you, if you, you, know, if you do a few ABCs, then, you, then you're in. It's just not how it works. There's nothing that you have done to earn salvation. It is 100% a gift from God, which is makes it really assuring because if, you, if it's from God, it's, if it depends on you, it's shaky ground. If, it's, if it depends on God, it's rock solid, rock solid. And the, the reality is of always looking to your own, looking inside how you feel. Do I feel saved today? Well, I don't feel so saved today. Today I feel really saved. If you're always kind of trusting your feelings, that's, man, that's like, whew, you're all over the place. If you're always looking to your behavior, your own merit, I mean, that's bad too, but because enough is never enough. I mean, just imagine, like, man, let's, I talked about prayer earlier. Just think if you're like to able to pray for 30 minutes a day. Man, that's great. Man, you're doing so well. How come not 40 minutes? <laughs> but don't you love Jesus? Why not, four, why not an hour? Enough is never enough. Oh, you're giving a big chunk of your money? How come you're not giving all your money? I mean, Jesus say, leave everything and follow him? Come on now. Enough is never enough. It's, it's just, so you don't look within, you, get, you look to God. What do I mean look to God? Well, first of all, you can look to scripture. This is what 
the Apostle John said in his first epistle, he says, I write these things. I mean, you could really apply this to all of the Bible, but he's specifically writing to these, these believers. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know this. In the, we can read the Bible. This is the inspired word of God, written, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We can, we, can, we can know, we can have assurance through reading the Bible. We don't read the Bible, so God will accept us. That's, man, that's a bad place to be. But we, we can read the Bible, and because we, we read and get truth in us, man, it, it, can, it brings assurance. And through his spirit, this is amazing, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We need to be constantly, I use the word, being filled with the spirit, receiving the spirit, having the spirit in you and with you and upon you. More of the spirit means more assurance because it's, it's cause, you know, you can, you can read truth but, you know, you, you want to be alive in this truth. You know, you don't want to be like, you know, I am a part of the Christian religion. You want to be like, I am, I'm in this. I don't just know this, but I'm, I, I know it in my heart. The Holy Spirit of God is testifying to my spirit. You know, Jesus makes us uh, sons of God. The Holy Spirit makes us feel like sons of God. It has that power in our life. Reading the word full of the Spirit, powerful stuff for assurance. And then secondly, through leading and serving, serving, leading and serving. Now, I want to be very clear with this. If I, if I, hope, I don't want to lose anyone in this. Now, I want to, we don't do good works. We don't do good works uh, so that God will accept us. But because God accepts us, that results in good works. And they testify. So, I mean, I'll just tell you what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 3. He says, for those who serve well as deacons, and, and deacon was a, is a leadership role, which the word deacon in the Greek actually just means servant. So servant, leader, leader, servant, same thing. For those of who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's a way to get confidence because here's the deal. When you were born again, God put new desires in you. And I believe that if you have a regenerate heart, which means that you're born again, that you're in the family, that God has put the desire deep in you to want to serve, to actually want to give your life away. Now, you've got this flesh thing that is fighting against that and, and, and keeps you from um, engaging that way. But there's something deep inside you that wants to do this. And um, I don't know if you've seen the cartoon movie Rio. Um, yeah. I, I've seen it in my subconscious like 20 times. I mean, I just can, I can even hear it playing in, behind me because we have a van with the whole DVD thing. And so it's like we, I've seen it I don't know how many times. So anyway. Um, actually, I've not seen it. I've only heard it. But... I do know that it's about these birds in South America, and there's this one of the birds, Blue, can't fly. He's a domesticated macaw or something like that, and, and uh, he can't fly, um, or he doesn't know that he can fly, but then he meets another bird, and, and he watches her fly, and then he, all of a sudden he realizes he can fly. The reality is he could always fly. He just needed to like see that he could fly. And I think for us, there's like inside of us to desire to bear fruit. So it's not like go out, hey, you know, like you, you think about an apple tree. It's not like, hey, 
to become an apple tree, you need to go produce apples. And that doesn't make any sense. You can't, you can't make yourself an apple tree by, by produ- like, you know, staple gunning apples to a tree. That's not how you make an apple tree. <laughs> but an apple tree bears apples. Followers of Jesus, Jesus says, I've not come to to be served, but to serve. That's in your spiritual DNA. And and sometimes we just have to let that come out. And as we let it come out, as we allow the growth to happen, as we allow those things that God has planted in our hearts because of the rebirth work he's done in us, it gives us assurance. Okay. Now, assurance is important for a lot of reasons. And I just need to quickly say this last one, um, which is, um, that it keeps us from falling away. Because the big picture here is that, um, that Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians, who are, they're getting ready to fall away. Uh, they, were, they, they were like, yeah, Jesus is still my number one, but you know, there's some things outside of Jesus. that you know, there's, other, you know, there's angels, and I want to explore the angels, and I want to explore this, and I want to explore that. And Paul's always saying, like, no, 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 it's all in Christ, all mystery, all knowledge, all wisdom. It's hidden in Christ, you pursue Christ, and, and, you, and you have this all. And so they're getting ready to fall away. And in verse 4, notice that it says that the Colossians were, were at risk of getting deluded by plausible arguments. Underline that word plausible. Nobody gets torn away by crazy, right? If you're in a community group and someone says, hey, I think Jesus was a meth addict. No one's like, oh, really? Tell me more about that. No, you're like, you're, okay, that guy's crazy. And you move on. You don't like or whatever. You're just you're not you're not you're not swayed by that. You're not swayed by, you know, hey, let's go worship the devil today. No one gets swayed by that. What you get swayed by is plausible. And there's like a gazillion plausible there's a gazillion examples of uh, plausible arguments I could get. I'll just give the big one. Uh, tolerance. Tolerance. Tolerance as defined in our culture, not tolerance as Jesus defined, which is to love your neighbor whether he believes the way you do or not. You love him, you serve him, you give your life away for him or her. But tolerance defined in our culture means that you not only have to love me, but you have to accept what I believe is true. That's what people mean when they mean by tolerance. And it is the air we breathe. Now, now, we, we like to think that we're, we're, that we're tolerant because we're just so warm and embracing of other people. But behind all that is, again, individualism, which says that I am the king of my castle, I'm the captain of my ship, and I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. So I'm going to embrace this idea that no one can tell you what to do because I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. And that lie, that deluded, plausible argument is as old as time. It's the same thing that messed up Adam and Eve in the garden where it was a plausible argument that said, hey, you can be your own person. You can be your own person. And I think this gets played out like it did in this late night interview I saw where this guy had a, had a Christian and another person, let's just say it's not a Christian. And the, the host wrapped, up, wrapped it up by saying this to this guy, the kind of the Christian to set him in his place. He says, you see, what you don't understand is that he's on his journey and I'm on my journey and you're on your journey. Now, that sounds plausible and it sounds nice because it, it keeps us from having to say what you believe is wrong. And nobody wants to say that. You don't want to say, I don't, we, don't, we don't want to say that. 
Makes us feel like jerks, number one, but we feel like that somehow is wrong. And what that does, it deludes your faith and, and, and it holds you back. But, I mean, set aside for a second what Jesus actually said, which is, you know, hey, I'm it. I'm the truth. There's no other way. But let's just set that aside. You don't, you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to realize, I think, that, um, that this, at some level this, this mindset is silly and lacks integrity. Um, and to me, it doesn't really make any sense. Because I'll, I'll say this. Because if the argument that everyone has a legitimate claim to faith and we're all in different paths and all in the same direction. So, uh, number one, Christians shouldn't try to convert people. But if you take the same scrutiny that's applied to Christianity and apply it to the interview, it doesn't hold up. Because what that person's saying is like, look, what you don't understand, narrow-minded Christian, is that he's on his journey and I'm on my journey and you're on your journey you shouldn't try to convert people, although what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to convert you to my way of thinking. It, if you applied the same screen, it doesn't hold up. Or it's just, it's just like, well, you know, what you believe doesn't, doesn't really matter. You can believe in it. Well, that itself is, is a belief in a God. It has a doctrine. It has a belief system. And it's trying to convert people. It, it, it's just this crazy, like, Circular, you know, to say that, no, that there is no absolute truth is a statement of absolute truth. It's this crazy thing that, that outside of, I'll go ahead, like, like the demonic, I don't know how it has any kind of legs. Because philosophically it doesn't make sense. Intellectually it doesn't make sense. It just kind of folds in on itself. But it's very, very real and, it ha- and it's a plausible argument that will keep you. Because what it'll keep you from, it'll keep you from, from going to your neighbor and saying, I just want to tell you about the grace and mercy of Jesus. I want to tell you what he did on the cross. I want to tell you what he did for me. I want to tell you about eternal life. I want to tell you about love. I want to tell you about hope. I want to tell you about peace. Because at the, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I can't say that. Because he's on his journey and I'm on my journey. Who am I to say what he believes is a delusion of your faith. It'll make you weak and ineffective at best. If not shipwreck you altogether, you'll end up wasting your life. And I don't want you to waste your life. There, the... The day, I'd say, I mean, it seems this way anyway. This seems like the days um, are getting darker. And what I mean by that, I don't mean like, you know, you know it's, the light's going to go out here in a second or something like that. But it just seems like, man, these people just don't. I, I was talking to some pastors, good guys. Um, I think they're a little bit, maybe slightly miss seeing things right. But just they were saying things like, you know, people just don't listen to the Bible anymore. And, and what they were saying is that this Christian culture that's out there is starting to disintegrate. So we're pointing to the things like, you know, in 2012 was the first time in a presidential inauguration uh, that there was not an evangelical Christian. And all the evangelical Christians are like, oh my gosh, you know, the world's getting darker and darker and darker. Well, it's just a, it was all a facade anyway. So now we're just seeing things for as they are. But Here's the thing, the days are getting, so we have stuff to do. We have churches to plant. We have people to evangelize. 
Hell is hot. Eternity is a really long time. And it's not a time to get deluded and, and weak and ineffective in who we are. It's time to grow deeper. It's time to get more convicted. It's time to get stronger, to gain assurance so we're not deluded by what seems to be plausible arguments, but we're solid in the faith. We're solid in Jesus. We know who we are. We know who he is. And we're convinced, as Paul is, that nothing is going to separate us. So I am willing just to throw my life, to give my life away as a ransom, just as Jesus did. And Paul is praying for us. He is struggling and toiling and contending in prayer that this would be, this would be our testimony. That we would not, we would be encouraged. That we'd have strength in us. That we would be knit together in love. That we would not just be, ah, you know, I'm in it for myself and whatever I can get out of this. But we're in it together, so that we would have assurance. So that we would not be pulled away and made ineffective and weak by plausible arguments. Here's the thing: we are people who say that we 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 believe in the. Um, authority of scripture. And what that means is that everything that we believe, we want to trace back to the Bible. Here's how you know if you are buying into a plausible argument. Where did you get that idea from? So if you believe a plausible argument, where did you get that idea? We want all of our ideas to trace back to the Bible. Well, I believe God this way. Okay, where'd you get that idea? I believe that, you know, people are basically good. Okay, where did you get that idea? Whatever it is that you believe, where did it come from? And take it, open your Bible, read it, find out where you get your thoughts from. Encourage each other in that. We don't have to be sharp. By the way, I don't want to equip anyone, any of you militant people who like think, okay, now I'm going to go out and like strike someone down with my Bible. Don't do that. We, that's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying we, we love, we defer, we serve, we give our life away if need be. We die for the one who disagrees with us. But what I am saying is don't let those arguments delude what you believe. Be assured in your faith. Why don't you get out your communication card?